Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. A big part of our business is spent behind looking at numbers. And you better have someone on your team that is an expert in underwriting deals. There's so much to know about underwriting. And if it's not your favorite thing, you better have someone on your team that loves numbers, loves Excel, loves digging in and figuring out if this deal makes sense or not. Who is that on your team? Have you thought about that? Well, you're going to learn from our experts today on how they underwrite deals to ensure success for them and their investors. Our guest is Rob Beardsley. Thanks for being on the show, Rob. Thank you. Let's get into the underwriting and just some key fundamentals that every listener that's getting into this space needs to know. Sure. So I think we'll start from the passive investor LP perspective and then work our way up to approaching underwriting from a GP or sponsor perspective. So starting as a passive investor, at least knowing the key factors or some of the key indicators that drive the underwriting is helpful when evaluating a deal. I see a lot of investors making their investment decisions solely based on who the sponsor is, which is very important. But then just reading over their glossy offering memorandum, and that's pretty much it for them. So I think there should be an added layer of due diligence, which is digging into the numbers and then not only just accepting those numbers at face value, but actually assessing the validity or the viability of those numbers. So starting with the simplest measures are cap rate. And it's kind of cliche because that's the first thing you hear and the most talked about number. However, a cap rate's not a cap rate. There's a million different ways to value a property's income. And thus, it can be misconstrued to appear better. So some of the ways that I would encourage investors looking into a deal's historical cap rate is first, I would make sure that the numbers you're looking at are truly historical and nothing is being projected out into the future that these numbers actually happened in the past. And going from there, it's most likely necessary to tax adjust the historical financials because typically when you purchase property, the taxes will be reassessed especially if you're buying value add and putting CapEx dollars into the property because the assessor's office is going to see that. They're going to see that you're going to be driving income through raising rents and renovations, and they're going to want to get their piece as well. So look to a larger assessment at that point. I wanted to ask you though, and we're talking about as a passive investor, some things to look at for the underwriting, but making sure the numbers look right are truly historical. How do I know that as a passive investor? What are some other things I need to be looking at or asking? And maybe that's even intimidating to me as a passive investor. I've got this other business I'm an expert in, but I'm wanting to invest in some real estate. How do I know how to do that? Right. And so that goes back to who you're investing with. And so hopefully your sponsor is doing a good job of reporting the numbers and showing you a simple breakdown. Here's our T12 analysis, or here's the historical P&L, and then here's our year one pro forma PL and then you know year two, year three, year four, but making a clear distinction of okay, here's the numbers as they are, and then here's our plan to take them there or take them where we want to go. Because it's not uncommon these days as people are pushing the numbers to make deals still look similarly attractive as they have been five years ago, 
with how the market's performed amazingly. It's not uncommon to see sponsors have a 20, 30, 40% increase in their income from historical to year one. And that is definitely needs to be substantiated, to say the least. So I guess just starting with asking if, if it's unclear as to what the cap rate or what the financials that they're referring to. But if you really want to get to the core of it, you should just ask for the due diligence files that the sponsors themselves are using to underwrite and put together the business plan. And that would be the seller's T12 and the seller's rent roll. Okay. So now the tax adjusted financials, you were talking about that, or we'll keep going. Right. So that's kind of the first thing I do off the bat because cap rates can look decent a lot of the time before you adjust for taxes, especially for older properties that have a very low assessment. You can be looking at a six and a half cap and it's still a value add deal. However, if your property taxes, let's say, are 200000 but you can reasonably assume a 25% increase to the taxes, you know, you should factor that into your cap rate to see how much income are you actually purchasing for your dollars. And then the next adjustment I like to do is management adjusted. So there's a million different ways to manage a property, and there's a million different compensation structures. Some owners don't have a management fee included in their financials at all, and some have a very bloated structure. So I'd like to, first of all, identify all the items in the financials that relate to a management fee, and then basically throw them all out and then plug in what it would cost us to manage it, and then put that into the historical financial. So now we've adjusted the historical in-place numbers with what we think taxes will be moving forward, as well as the cost for us to manage. We don't care how much it costs them, how much does it cost us. And now we've pretty much figured out the true level of income we're purchasing for how much income I'm buying per dollar. Nice. So what's my income per dollar? No, I like that. Go ahead. Cool. So we kind of went a little deep there, especially for just a past investor, but that's a great place to start. And then looking over another group's underwriting from a past investor's perspective, just quickly, you'd want to see, okay, what's the year-over-year change in NOI from T12 to year one, year one to year two, three, four, five, especially if you're looking at a 10-year deal where the sponsor is underwritten on a 10-year timeline, I would be very cautious if I see that the sponsorship is showing that income is still going to be increasing year over year by 3 to 5%, even out in 6, 7, 8, year 9, and 10, because that's just a lot of years of assumed more positive growth. What would be a safe range that we should be looking for there as a passive investor where you, I mean, where you would say, okay, this looks like a conservative deal and maybe underwritten conservatively enough that I feel comfortable investing as far as the growth that should be expected. I know the location, the market, all those things play into that, but just as a passive investor, what should I be looking for? Right. That's a good point. I think 2% year over year growth after the business plan has been achieved. So there's two forms of growth that you have to model out into a value-add deal, which is first the growth that you're affecting on the property through forced appreciation, spending money, improving management in order to increase rents and decrease expenses. So that usually occurs in years one, two, and potentially three. But after that, property should stabilize out and there shouldn't really be any outsized growth embedded into the underwriting. While it may happen, some of these very fast growing markets may continue to grow quickly at 6%, 7% rent growth per year. But all these markets that are currently experiencing that level of growth, nobody was underwriting five years ago. Oh yeah, we're going to have 7% rent growth here. Nobody knew it. I mean, maybe they thought it was a good market, but they still probably underwrote conservatively to a two or two and a half percent rent growth and a 15% IRR, but then the market took off and they have a bonanza on their hands. So you don't want a sponsor relying on another 
terrific run of rents and cap rate compression to achieve their return. So I would say after the business plan has been achieved, look for a stabilized growth in income of 2%. I like that. 2% after the business plan has been achieved, that you're going to consider that conservative underwriting. Right. And then the next piece we've covered, in-place numbers, growth, and now the exit. And we're kind of starting from most difficult to misconstrue the least difficult. So it's pretty hard to say my year one numbers are going to look this way because they're grounded by the current numbers. But the further away you get from the current numbers, there's more that you can argue and play with and say, well, you know, give us five years and the property will be in this sort of shape with these sort of rents. And then similarly, your exit is very disputable, right? You could say, well, I think the market will be better than now or prices will soften. And so the way that you control the exit price is through the exit cap rate. And so typically you hear a lot of people say, we model a conservative exit of 50 or 100 basis points above our entry cap rate. So that makes a lot of sense because if today you have to pay, let's say a five cap for the product you're buying, Theoretically, the market should have to be in a reasonably worse place to sell that same property at a six cap. So that is conservative underwriting. However, a lot of people are missing is, let's say, for example, I'm buying a 100-unit building, but it's only 50% occupied. And because of that low occupancy, I'm paying a three cap. So if it were fully occupied, it would be a six cap. But I'm paying a three cap because I'm buying less income and I'm essentially paying more money for the opportunity to lease that building up. Well, it would be extremely aggressive and simply incorrect for me to assume I can exit that deal at a four cap because I bought it for a three, I go up 100 basis points and I exit at a four because the market is six for that product when it's stabilized. So you have to make sure that you're modeling up on sale what actually the above 50 to 100 basis points above what the current market cap rate is for that sort of product. Not value added to stable, but stable to stable. Our guest is Anna Myers. Thanks for being on the show, Anna. Sure. Nice to be here, Whitney. So you being the lead underwriter, and obviously you're teaching others this underwriting, and I thought it'd be a great place for us to start. And maybe you can teach the listeners that are just getting started in multifamily syndication, help them get started in underwriting, some things that we need to know, some terminology. I mean, we're going to assume some terminology we already know, but I'd like to get into the weeds a little bit on how to underwrite a multifamily property. It's usually a very visual exercise. When I teach webinars every month where we actually do a screen share and I teach all a lot of terms, and I also actually underwrite a deal during that time. So I'll go over some high-level things and some of the things that you need to know. First of all, I, I do want to say that underwriting is knowing the numbers of a deal are critical. And knowing how to underwrite, I think, is an essential part of being a syndicator. That being said, I think it's also very valuable to know if you are not the right person on the team to be the underwriter. Mm. Because some people, it just doesn't resonate with them. And I think in that case, partnering, which I always think is a great approach to syndication in general, to partner with somebody that does love underwriting. And maybe you as a person may be more the people-oriented one that wants to go out and help raise money and the other person can be the number person. So if you're not the number person, partner up with somebody that is the number person and that loves doing numbers. Okay, so that's my first piece of advice about underwriting. Next, so let's assume you are the underwriting person. You love numbers. You're just not quite sure how to go about it yet. So the first thing you need to do is you need to obviously find a property. Once you've got a deal, what do you need to analyze that deal? Well, you need what we call the financials for that property. 
And the things that are in the financials, you typically get will get this from the broker. Let's assume that this is a deal that's on market as opposed to an off-market deal. So if it's an on-market deal, it's going to have an offering memorandum, which is also called an OM or a flyer. Sometimes they call it a flyer. And that's going to have a lot of marketing information as well as facts about the property. And the thing to understand is that while it can be glitzy and glossy and full of all kinds of beautiful pictures, that's all very nice. There are facts in there and there is a lot of marketing. And you can't look at an OM and say, oh, look, they already did the underwriting for me because they're showing me the pro forma of what this property is going to produce. They're showing you what they want you to believe the property is going to produce. It is up to each of us as good underwriters to go and get the underlying documentation of the financials and underwrite the property yourself. So what you need in order to do that, in addition to the offering memorandum, you need what's called the T12, which is known as the trailing 12 month. Sometimes it's called a T6 or a T3, which would relate to a trailing six month or a trailing three month. Now trailing meaning that it's trailing backwards in time 12 months. So you're not looking for 2017's finances from the property. You want from September, if this is October 2018, you want from September 2018 back to September 2017. Okay, so that's the trailing aspect of it. So the other thing you need is the rent roll. And the rent roll will give you information about all of the units. Typically, they'll have information to confirm the square footage of each size of the unit. Who is in that unit? What is their name? When did their lease start? When did their lease finish? What is their current rate uh, rent? Often it'll show any delinquency. If you have a, a comprehensive rent roll, it has information about delinquency for that unit, as well as any other income that that unit is paying, such as pet fees, parking fees, any other rubs, which is utilities. If they're paying back utilities, how much utilities are they paying back? So you've got these three things. You've got your offering memorandum, your T12, and your rent roll. Then you need a deal analyzer, all right, which is typically a spreadsheet. Once in a while, it can be a web-based platform. There's lots of them out there. We have one that actually I architected with a couple of people from the Multifamily U Bootcamp. So we put together one that's kind of oriented towards students that are learning. If you Google for it, you're going to find a, a ton of them. So you're going to enter the information that you're going to enter the unit mix. So you're going to enter all of your T12 information. And the thing that you need to evaluate, this is where it gets tricky and you need experience. The two things that you're going to need to evaluate are your forecast of what the rents will be. So looking at what the rent roll is, that doesn't mean what the rent should be. So they could be under on their rents. They could be over on their rents. You need to get a real sense of what the market is paying for rents. Now, you could go to apartments.com. You can go to Craigslist. If you have access to paid services, we use CoStar for that type of thing. I also am a big fan of a product called Enodo. It's automated underwriting that's a web platform. Enodo is spelled E-N-O-D-O. We have partnered with them because we really love their platform and I do a lot of beta testing for them. So I'm a big fan of theirs. So Enodo is something that you can get market rents from as well. And then the other thing you have to figure out is forecasted rents. So if I'm going to buy this unit, let's assume that we're value-add syndicators, okay? So we like to buy B and C class property 
and we want to upgrade the units to bump the rents. This is a pretty standard thing for syndicators. So now we need to figure out in the underwriting sense, how much am I going to be able to push the rents if I do these things that I think I want to do? I want to spend $4,000 a unit. I'm going to upgrade the countertops. I'm going to put some backsplash on there and change out the flooring. All of these things I'm going to do, how much can I bump the rents based on competitive rents in the market? All right. So we've got our market rents, our forecasted rents. And then the other thing you need to know about underwriting to get all your numbers dialed in is you need to know your forecasted expenses. Okay. So the T12 tells us our current expenses, just like the rent roll told us our current rents. Now the T12 says, what is the owner paying for all of these different things? What is the owner paying for repairs and maintenance? What is the owner paying for property management? Maybe they're managing it themselves. What is the insurance cost? What is the property tax? All of these different line items are in the T12. Those are the expense items. And then, of course, you've got the income items as well in the T12. But let's focus on the expenses. Now, that owner was paying those items. That's what they were paying. But you need to figure out what you will be paying. Is it reasonable what they were paying? Repairs and maintenance, maybe they were paying $200 per unit over the course of the year for repairs and maintenance, but maybe that's because the cousin was doing the work and so that they were getting a great deal because the cousin was actually living at their house or something. $200 a month is not very much for repairs and maintenance. So you wouldn't want to take that person's number. You need to use industry standards and make sure that you are underwriting to numbers that will work for the building. So you have to go through all of those things for each expense item. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.